Hi, this is Rabbi Dovi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham, thanking you in advance for listening to the following Shi'ur Torah. There is no way that one can come out of such incredible days without being unfazed. It had to change us. That light had to reach us. What are we walking out with from the incredible eight days of Hanukkah? Ladies, I'm sure everybody here heard a very famous American company by the name of Milton Bradley. Now, Milton Bradley is the company that brought to you all those classical board games that kept you busy for many good years, many Shabbat afternoons on the long Shabbatot. Milton Bradley were the ones that brought forward the games like Monopoly and Life and many other games that everyone is very familiar with. with. They're the board game king of America, Milton Bradley. Well, the Milton Bradley company contacted a rabbi in Staten Island, New York, Rabbi Moshe Mayer Weiss. They called him up, they said, Rabbi, you know, we are the board game kings of America. We heard that the Jewish people, you have a classical game that dates back to over 2,000 years. And we have an eye on that game. We want to make the game of dreidel into a board game. And we know it's going to be a winner. You know how we know this? You see, because in Milton Bradley, we have a think tank of young children geniuses. And every time we come up with an idea, we go to the think tank, and they have a bunch of these kids, children, child prodigies, geniuses. And they give them to play with the new idea of the game that they were about. And the kids tell them if the game is going to sell or not. The kids tell him if the game is a winner or not. He says, Rabbi, yesterday we walked into the think tank and we gave our young geniuses a bunch of dreidels to play with. It was addictive. They couldn't put it down. They didn't want to give it back after we gave it to them. And they continued to spin it and play and play. And they said, this beats dice any day. We loved it. There's only one problem. We don't know how to play. So maybe you can find a rabbi and find the name of the game, the rules. How do you play dreidel? So rabbi, we have contacts and they told us to call you and you're the go-to rabbi. Rabbi, we have a very lucrative opportunity here. We're going to make the next big seller of board games in the United States, dreidel. But we need your help. Tell us. What exactly are the rules of this game? Rabbi, tell us, not just the rules, but we know that the Jewish people, everything they do is very symbolic. We know that they have a lot of meaning and they have a lot of... Can you give us a little bit of the symbolism, the history? What is it about this game, Dreidel, that makes it so special? How did it last for 2,000 years? Well, Rabbi Moshe Moyamais, after being promised from the Milton Bradley Company, that if he were to help them to bring this to the next board game success to fruition, the rabbi says, listen, it's not for money. I want you to see the beauty of the Jewish people, even in something so small as a child's game. And he began to explain to them the game of dreidel. Rabbi Moshe Merweis explained, he says, listen, the dreidel, it has four sides. And because of that, The dreidel has on it four different letters from the Hebrew alphabet. On the dreidel you'll find the gimel, 
on the dreidel you find the hay. And then you'll find the noon, and then of course the sheen. The rabbi says, here's the rules. When you spin the dreidel, depending on what it lands, what it falls on, is obviously your lot in the next move. He says, if it falls on, it lands on a gimel, well, that means you get the whole pot. And if it lands on a hay, well, then you get hay, half. If it lands on a noon, well, then you get noon, nada, nothing. And if it lands on the sheen, well, then already, not only do you lose, but you have to put in and you have to give from your side. You have to put into the pot. So here are the rules. You got a Milton Bradley? Gimel, everything. Noon, nothing. He, half. Sheen, you got to put into the pot. You'll lose. Well, Milton Bradley was loving this. He said, Rabbi, this is exciting. Wow. I, the kids were right. This beats a set of dice any day of the week. Rabbi, we're loving this. We're going to make this into a big board game success. But Rabbi, tell us, those letters, are they random? Or do those letters actually mean something? The rabbi says in Judaism, there's no such thing as random. Everything means something. And I'm going to tell you the symbolism behind these letters. It actually spells out those letters, the Gimel and the Nun and the He and the Shin. It's actually an acronym to spell out a sentence. Nes Gadol Haya Sham. And that's the connection to the holiday. It's to remind our children about the great miracle, the nest, the miracle that happened back in the days of Hanukkah. Rabbi, really? He says, yeah. Take a look. The noon is nest. The he is haya. Well, gimel is gadol. He is haya. Shin is sham. It reminds them of the miracle. It reminds them of the children, of the Jewish people, that they would go and hide away in the forests with their rabbis. Because at that time, the learning of Torah was outlawed. There would literally be Moser Nefesh to go into the forest with their rabbis, and they would sit and learn Torah in hiding. And when the soldiers would come, quickly they would put away their chumash, and they would take out these little toys, these little dreidels, the tops, as if to look like they were just playing all the time. It reminds our children of the miracle. Milton Bradley said, Rabbi, we got a winner. Oh! This is going to be the next American sensation. The dreidel board game. It's going to be a classic. We're going, to, we're going to sell this. We're going to sell this all over the world. Oh, this is something. Rabbi, we're going to call you back in a week, and we'll tell you where we're going with this. Thank you. A week later, Milton Bradley calls back Rabbi Moshe Meirwes. And they tell him, Rabbi, uh, we have some bad news. We went over the game, and although... You know, we told you the think tank, the kids, they love it. But there's no way we can sell this to the American people. Rabbi Weiss says, really, why? Rabbi, I'll tell you. You see, you told us that those letters stand for a sentence. Nes, Gado, Haya, Shav. You also told us that the word Nes means miracle. That's the noon. Now that means that the most important point of that sentence is the miracle that took place with the Jewish people. But one second, the letter Nun represents the miracle. And you also told us that if you land on the Nun, you get nothing. How are we going to sell that to people? It logically doesn't make sense. We tell them it's referring to a miracle, but when you land on miracle, you get 
Nada? Nothing? Sorry, Rabbi. Logically, it doesn't add up. I mean, the game is great, but we just can't sell it. So we're abandoning the whole project. Rabbi Y says, listen, I told you. It had nothing to do with the money. And if you want to abandon the project, that's fine with me. But for the sake of the Jewish people and for the meaning of truth and what we stand for, don't you think that we thought about that too? But yet, we have a much deeper understanding to how the symbolism of the dreidel and how this concept really works. Well, now, Milton Bradley was intrigued. Rabbi, please, inspire us. Tell us, what is the deeper meaning? How do you explain what seems to be a very simple logical question on the whole concept? How do you make sense of this? How do the rules make sense? Noon is miracle, but yet you land on it, it's nothing. Says Ramosh Why something fantastic. He tells Milton Bradley, he says, gentlemen, I want you to listen well. You know, in the Hebrew alphabet, we have many wonderful letters, but let's not forget the first one. The first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is the Aleph. And that Aleph represents Ehad. That Aleph is number one, the only one, the only God. Bore Olam. The Aleph represents God. We turn to our children. Now with the letters of Nez Gadol Hayasham. And the letter you land on that's closer to the Aleph makes you a bigger winner. The letter you land on that's closer to the Aleph shows the children that the Jew who's closer to God is always the biggest winner. And therefore, when you land on the Gimel, well, the Gimel is only two letters away from the Aleph. The letter Gimel is the closest of the four letters to God. That's the Jew that's so close to God. That's the Jew that wins and gets the whole pot. The letter He is a few steps away from the Aleph. It's a Jew a little bit further away from God, but still, he's still within the area of. And therefore, he might not get everything, but he still gets half. He still has something, because he is still somewhat close to God. But then when we look at the letter Nun, Nun is way past, smack in the middle of the Hebrew alphabet. This person is not here and not there. And that's why when they land on Nun, they get nothing. They don't lose nothing, but they don't get anything either. However, the Sheen, the Sheen is all the way at the opposite end of the spectrum of the alphabet, where the Aleph God is on one side, and this Jew is completely on the other side of the world. That Jew, the letter Sheen, well, he's so far away that when it comes to his closeness of God, he has to put in, he has to put in a lot of work and a lot of effort to be able to come back and closer to Bore Olam. And that's why the rules and the letters are to teach our kids, the closer you are to the Aleph, the bigger, the winner you'll always be in life. Milton Bradley said, wow, Rabbi, that was deep. Wow, Rabbi, that was one, one of the most beautiful explanations I've heard in a long time. Rabbi, that was beautiful. The only problem is, Rabbi, I don't think we can sell that to the American people. So the board game, well, I don't think at this point we could still make the board game a reality. 
But Rabbi, I do want to tell you, as human beings, you've touched us. And we have a new respect for the Jewish people and for even the smallest of detail. You're a people with such knowledge, such depth and such meaning. We found a new respect for the Jewish people. Ladies, that's not just a dreidel. In essence, that is what Hanukkah is really all about. It's how close we are to the light. It's how close we are to Hashem. It's that time in the middle of the winter, in the dark days of winter, where we're here in such a darkness of a galut, and it's so easy to be swayed by the goyim one way or another. And we get so caught up in so much of the garbage of the world. And suddenly the story and the days and the holiday of Hanukkah come around. And it begins to light up with such clarity. And I want to use that word today as many a time as I can. Hanukkah is about clarity. It's about a closeness to Hashem. It's about coming back to the source. Coming back to truth. Coming back to the closeness of Bore Olam. Realizing that all the smoke and mirrors that the Goyim have out there, on the outside, it looks so wow. It looks so good. But then when you step into it a little bit, you realize that it's all a balloon with hot air. Suddenly we see the light. Suddenly we see the truth. Suddenly Hanukkah comes upon us. And we're able to see the closer you are to the light, the better we are in this world. Ladies, if I were to ask you a question, why do we do Torah and mitzvot? Now, as a class, definitely, without the time to do this, I would love to be able to move around the room and ask that question. You would see, you ask this question to five people, you get five different answers. And I've done this a lot over the years, a lot. And what's amazing is that They've asked maybe thousands of seminary girls, of boys in yeshiva, even Jews that have been practicing Judaism for so many years. Why do you do Torah and mitzvot? The classical answer always, God said so. Okay, it's a good answer. But you want to hear what the majority of the answer was? Other than God said so? The majority of the answer, 75% of seminary girls, yeshiva bachrim, practicing religious Jews, their answer was, I follow Torah mitzvot, because that's the way I was brought up. And because that's the way I was brought up, that's the way I will continue to follow. Now, ladies, if I was sitting on a plane next to a non-religious Israeli Jew. And you know how that conversation always goes? And you know how somehow or other, while you're sitting and talking with the non-religious Jew alongside of you, in front of you, there's always either a priest or a nun or somebody that's going to put their two cents in on other religions. I want to play out a scenario with you. You see, because if I was sitting next to this non-religious Israeli and I want to introduce him to Judaism and I want to impede and influence him that maybe he should become religious, the first thing he turns to me and says to me, 
How do you know you're right? How do you know you're right? Why should I follow Judaism? Maybe they're right. Maybe the Christians are right. Maybe the Muslims are right. Maybe the other 14,998 religions in the world. Did you know that? According to Time Magazine of two years ago, today currently in the world, there are 15,000 religions in the world today. So Judaism is one out of 15,000. It's a lot of religions out there. Today there's a lot of options, so to speak, for someone who is seeking. So what makes you so certain that you're right? That's really what they would ask you. Maybe they're right. Maybe the Christians are right. Maybe the Muslims are right. Maybe the Hindus are right. The Buddhists are right. I mean, today, Scientology, they have every type of religion you want. It's literally 1-800-DIAL-A-RELIGION. So how do you know? How do you know that we're right? Well, ladies, I want to tell you how we know. And what I'm about to tell you now is maybe one of the most important things you'll ever hear in your entire life. Because what you're going to hear today is going to finally give a meaning and a clarity to why we do what we do. Why we are who we are. What makes us special. And most of all, what makes us certain. You know what makes us certain and special? Do you know why we do Torah mitzvot? I'm about to tell you now the real answer. It's not because we were brought up that way. Because if you go to a Christian and ask him the same question, their answer also, I was brought up Christian. And you go to the Muslim and he'll tell you, I was brought up Muslim. And if you say, well, you know why I do Torah mitzvot? Because God said so. Guess what? The Christian will tell you, God told me to do it differently. And Muslim will tell you, Allah Akbar, no, he's going to tell you that Allah told me to do it this way. So, I mean, at the end of the day, everyone claims that God spoke to them and told them to do it like this. So what makes us any different? You know what makes us different? This is the answer. The answer is, we do Torah and Mitzvot because we know that we have the truth. That's the answer. Now I know what you're thinking, Rabbi. They also think they have the truth. How are you so certain that we have the truth? I'm about to prove to you how we are so certain. But before I get to that proof, let's get clarity. We do Torah and mitzvot. We follow Judaism is because we were lucky enough to be the people that are the guardians of truth. Asher bahar banu mikol ha'amim. He chose us from all the nations. Benatan lanu Torah. And he gave us the Torah, his word of truth. And there's no greater feeling in the world when you do what's right and true. We have the truth. And the difference between us and everyone else is that we're the only people who can prove it. We have proof that we have the truth. Anyone can walk into this room now from all 14,998 religions and say, well, we have the truth. Betach, they all think they have the truth. But can you prove it? Can you prove that you have the truth? We're the only nation 
out of 15,000 religions that actually can prove that we have the truth. And I'll show you, and I'll explain it to you, and it's very simple, and it's probably something you might have heard in the past, but you must know this better, we must live with this. You see, when you start to go back in the grassroots of every religion, and you start going back to the beginnings of each and every religion in the world, it will always come back to a story of one man. When you take a look, you'll see, you turn to the Muslim religion and you ask him, where did this all begin? And they'll tell you it began from a prophet. A prophet by the name of Muhammad. Who made him a prophet? Himself. Oh, Hazaku Baruch. It's like the guy who became a, a doctor online. He gave himself his own PhD. Good. Whatever that's worth, but he made himself a prophet. How did he make himself a prophet? What do you mean? He spoke to God. God, Allah, came and told him, Muhammad, this is the way to do it. Uh, Muhammad, do you have any proof that you spoke to God? Anybody? Any witnesses? Was anyone there that day? Anyone around? Muhammad says, yes, of course. Of course I have proof. My donkey. He was with me. Well, outside of the donkey, you know, up until Bil'am, Vayiftach, Piha Aton, until we get that donkey, do you have any real proof that can stand up in a court? Eyewitnesses, people, somebody. Somebody can verify your story? No. It was just him, according to his story, heard a vision, heard God's word, and he started a religion. Muhammad, you spoke to God. Yes, I spoke to God. He told me to start the Muslim religion. You have any proof? Any witnesses? Would this hold up in a court of law? Nothing. No proof. One man's testimony. No proof. Nothing to base on. In a court of law, it wouldn't hold two seconds. Nothing. Christianity. We know that better than anyone. Because we know exactly, you know, Yeshu after they took him, after they killed him, and what was happened, what was done was done. Later on, a guy by the name of Paul, Peter, whatever they was used to sing. Paul, he claims that he had a vision. Uh, Paul, was there anyone around when you had the vision? Maybe it was a little vodka, something that gave you the vision. Where did the vision come from? Suddenly God appeared to you? Halas like that, cheese and crackers came and said, Hello, Paul, I want you to start a new religion. What happened? I had a vision. The Lord, He came to me. He spoke unto me. And He told me, Go out. Any proof? Anyone there? Nothing. Again, every single story. And ladies, I don't have time to go through all the religions, but 14,000. 999 religions, there's one common denominator. Every single one of them goes back the, the testimony to the account of only one man. No proof, no base, no witnesses, nothing. There is only one religion in the world that its founding story begins with a moment in history, a historical moment. That did not happen to one person. But rather, it was in front of three million Jews.
standing by Har Sinai. And they watched with their eyes. And they heard with their ears. As Bore Olam himself, Bechvodo Ube'atzmo, came on Har Sinai and said, Anochi, Anochi Hebrew, I am. If he said it to Moshe Rabbeinu, he couldn't say, Anochi. Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I am God. I'm the one that took you out of Egypt. He spoke to them. You know, you can fool five people. You can fool ten people. Can you fool three million people? And a historical event. A historical event. They stood there by Har Sinai. They heard Hashem's word. They saw him. Panim el panim. And you know what Hashem says right after he gave the Torah in the end of Parashat Yitro? God knew what was coming and how many religions one day are going to fabricate stories to claim that they have the truth. And you know what? That's why Hashem says the following pasuk. Atem ri'item. You, Klal Yisrael, you see with your own eyes. Ki alechem. From heaven I spoke straight to you. I came on the mountain. I appeared in front of you. I allowed you as humans to see me. I allowed you as humans to hear me. I opened the heavens so you could see God. You have proof? Darn it, of course we have proof. Three million people. We have witnesses. We're the only ones who have proof. And that's why we're the only ones that have the truth. That's why we do Torah mitzvot. Because we have the truth. And there's no greater feeling knowing that you, what you're doing is the right thing and the truth. Ladies, I want to ask you something. If, you know, we'd walk outside and someone come walking by and they'd be all frazzled. And they would tell you, this guy, you see that guy there in the corner? He just grabbed my pocketbook. Quickly, call the police. Now, did we see it? No. She claims it happened. Do we know it happened? We don't know. I mean, she looks pretty frazzled. And maybe she's an actress from Hollywood. Maybe she's showing you an Academy Award. Maybe she waited for us to come outside and then she frazzled her hair and she messed her clothing up to look like she was scuffled around and suddenly she makes herself look like she's out of breath. Help me. That guy, he just mugged me. 50-50. Maybe yes, maybe no. Looks like it. Are we certain? I don't know. But ladies, I want to ask you something. If we'd walk outside and 20 people would come running down the block screaming, Call the police! Why? What happened? We just saw that guy on the corner, Rob Hazita, this lady. Would you have any question that it happened? No way. You'd be 150% positive that that's the truth. That's exactly what took place. Hey, I'm not talking about 20 witnesses. I'm talking about three million witnesses. And those three million witnesses gave it down to their sons, their daughters, their children. And they gave it to their children. And they gave it to their children. And it was a perfect, unbroken link from the moment that this amazing historical event took place until today. And it was given through a family structure of parent to child 
Hashem did this in such a genius way because He knew one day our religion will be challenged with 14,999 others. And because of that, He gave it to us in the most perfect of ways that our religion stands alone. And it came down in the lineage of truth. Parents to children, we give the truth over to our kids. If a father says, I saw it, the child knows my dad tells me the truth. And generation after generation, three million witnesses, the only ones with the truth, the only ones with proof. And that makes us the people of the keepers of the truth. And that's why what we do what we do. And this is the beauty of Hanukkah. Hanukkah reminds you that we are the keepers of the light. You know, in English, they have that saying, I've seen the light. You know, what does that mean? I see the truth. And when that or comes and it illuminates the world, it shines up, suddenly the Jew reminds himself, hey, the light, I could see clearly again. All oh, the smoke and mirrors of the goyim. I'm so mixed in, so marinated amongst the galut of the goyim. I could realize that now I could see truth. I could see right through it. I could see right through it. Now I get the truth. I'm reminded that this is the truth. And why is it that it came with oil? Because sometimes to see the truth, you have to separate first from everything that we're mixed into. Only then could we really see it as the way it is. That's the oil. The oil, no matter what you mix it with, it separates first. And then it illuminates with light. Do you want to illuminate? Do you want to see truth? You want to come close to Borei Olam? See what it means to live a life that's close to Hashem? The first step, like the oil, we need to separate from the goyim. We don't mix like the oil. We don't mix. And then after that, then we can illuminate with tremendous light. Then we can bask in the light. We can bask in the truth. Ladies, why were there two miracles? Wasn't one miracle enough? Five brothers, Maccabees, to fight against an army of a million Greeks. And the Midrash says mercenaries. How does five men beat a million people million soldiers, trained soldiers at war. Wouldn't that be enough? That's a miracle of miracles. Five men against a million? I mean, that's, forget it. That's wow. But no, that wasn't enough. After that miracle of the war, they had to come home and there was a second miracle waiting for them, the miracle of light. Why did we need the second miracle? And this was the point. This is what Hashem wanted to tell us. At that time, in the time of Hanukkah, the superpower of the world was Yavar. The superpower of the world was the Greeks. And Yavan were the people that they had this amazing allure. They had this unbelievable way about them that made them look so good in the eyes of the people. Do you know who Yavan was? Greece. They came from Yefet. Please, if you can hold that till the end. Yeah, please. They came from Yefet. Yefet is Yaft Elokim Yefet Yofi. They were a beautiful people. On the outside, Yavan looked so good. They were the guys, you know, the big, handsome, muscular guys. 
They were the guys from WWE, the, the big wrestlers, these guys, polished and oiled up. These are the guys that spent 10 hours a day in the gym on steroids. The celebrity Hollywood wows that we go crazy about. Little do we know their lives behind the scenes. It's all smoke and mirrors. On the outside, you think they have such a good life. And then when the news hits, they can't remain married for more than two weeks. They spend their lives in their limousines, driving from one rehab center to another rehab center. And these are the people we're chasing. These are the idols of America. Wow. Hollywood. Celebrities. Ay, ay, ay. That was Yavan. Yavan knew how to make things look so wow on the outside. On the outside, Radio City Music Hall, Lincoln Center, Times Square, the bright lights. Wow, it looks bigger than life. That was Yavan. Yavan knew how to make things look bigger than life. They were the masters of the allure. They knew how to lure people to them to make things look so wow and amazing. The big muscles. So there we were. The time at that time was Hellenism. The Hellenists were the Greeks. And they brought a new culture into the world. They brought a culture that till now the world was always chasing a question of religion and gods. Said the Hellenists, forget about religions, forget about gods. We're making a new god, man himself. We're going to worship ourselves. We're going to worship man. They opened up the gyms. They opened up the Olympiads. They started the Olympics. They started the sports, the competitions, the games. Take a look at how great man is. And at that time, the Jewish people mixed in with the Goyim, with Yavan, so much so that majority of the Jewish people became Hellenists. We were in their gyms day and night. We were in their theaters day and night. We went to their ball games. We went to everything they had to offer. Most of the Jewish people fell into this because it looked so good on the outside. Ah, we were blinded by the facade of Greece. We needed something to wake us up, to remind us that we're the ones with the truth and not to fall for the smoke and mirrors and the mirage of the Greeks. And it was because of that we desperately needed a miracle of light. Something to open our eyes and realize. And you know what that, that moment was? That was the moment that Hashem said, Greece, you look so good on the outside. Your muscles, your tone, your polish, your way, it looks so inviting. I'm going to make sure that the Jewish people see the truth behind the facade, behind the wrapper. And what did God do? He took five rabbis. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine that one day, Reb Chaim Kanievsky Shalita, Reb Steinemann Shalita, Rabbi Ruven Elba Shalita, take five rabbis, and they pick up their plastic forks. We're going out to fight against Russia and the United States and Korea and everyone else who has nuclear power. We're going to fight them, five rabbis, against millions I want to ask you something. If those five rabbis would win, how powerful would you look to the wow and the ways of the goyim from that point and on? Suddenly, 
the balloon pops and all the hot air goes out. What happened to your muscles, guys? What happened to your tanks? What happened to your nuclear warfares? What happened to your satellite systems? What happened to your defense systems? What happened, guys? Five rabbis? That's what Hashem did to Greece. God said, Yavan, you look so good, but like a man on steroids, the joke is on you. It's all hot air. It's not real. We're the people with the truth. The moment the five Maccabees went out and beat that army of a million men, suddenly the Jewish people woke up and said, wait one second. It really isn't the way it appeared to be. Look at that. They had elephants wrapped in metal. That was the prehistoric tanks of those years. They had everything. And five Maccabees beat them? It must be that it's all full of air. On the outside, it looks so good. But the truth always prevails. And if those five rabbis won, it was the biggest reminder that we have the truth. We are the keepers of the truth. And that is why when they came back from war, what miracle did they come back to? The miracle of light. Kalal Yisrael suddenly saw the light. They saw the truth. They were reminded, don't get missled by the smoke and mirrors of the Goyim. There's no better message for an American Jew today in the times we live in. Because today, ladies, forgive me, but if we call a spade a spade and we talk just a moment of truth, we'd have to look at ourselves and see we went the way of Yavan. We're in the gyms with them. We are at the theaters with them. We're in the stadiums with them. And Hanukkah comes around and screams, Stop! It's all smoke and mirrors. It looks so good on the outside. Hollywood! The Academy Awards! The Emmys! Wow! What is she going to wear? Really? Do you know who you are? She should be knocking on your door. You're the princesses of Klal Israel. You're queens, you're royalty. Here's the reminder and the wake-up call. The moment we see the light is the moment we realize we have the truth. We need nothing else from the Goyim. We just need to be left alone to be able to enjoy the truth and the doing of Torah and Mitzvot. Because we have proof. We have the truth. And there's no greater feeling than doing what we know is right. I'd like to end off with an incredible story. Uh, you know, in Israel, the Israeli army has a system where the boys come in at a young age, drafted to the army, and then after five years or so of service, they're given a year of chafesh. One year, after five years of serving, of vacation. And at that point, on the cheshbon of the Medina, and on the cheshbon of El Al, they are given a year off that they can fly anywhere in the world they want. They can go anywhere. And they literally give them a year sabbatical of vacation to enjoy. Shema Yisrael, what happens in that year to these guys? Oy. Where do they go to? Ay, ay, ay. Well, the more adventurous guys, they go out to Africa. They try to put their training into the jungles. Some of the less adventurous guys, they come to America because every Israeli wants to see Los Angeles. 
מה, הייתי בלוס אנג'לס, הייתי שם, מה, בטח. אני עם אשתי בירח דבש, אתה יודע ירח דבש איזה? אתה רוצה להגיד את זה, אתה יודע ירח דבש. אהההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההה
we're going to shave your beard, and shave your peot, and we're going to give you the classical monkey monk <laughs> silk robes. Okay, that's the deal. I'm here for three days on a pace. Now, Shlomo Kalbach comes into the monastery. The place was huge. There must have been over a thousand guys walking in and out. And no one talks. They simply had their hands in their sleeves with their head on the floor, looking at the floor, walking back and forth. No talking. Silence. He says to himself, how in the world am I going to find the Israelis that are here? How am I going to get them? How am I going to get them out? He had worked out that in three days from then, there were going to be a few Israelis that he came with with jeeps at the bottom of the mountain that if he can pull guys out, they'll be able to, uh, to save him, to take him back. How in the world is he going to do this? How? Everyone looks exactly the same. They're all the head shaven with the same outfit. What is he going to do? He came up with a great idea. That first night that he was there, he was sitting in the corner and everyone in the room was just humming to themselves, talking to themselves, meditating. Shlomo Kalbach pulls out his guitar. And in the corner, he starts stringing his guitar. And he closes his eyes. And he starts to sing. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. All of a sudden, one guy picks up his head. Another guy from the other corner turns his head. What? Another guy on the other side of the room. He looks up as well. He sings it again. Shema Yisrael. But then he sings it louder. And then he sings it faster. And then he sings it faster. Shema Yisrael. Hashem Eloke. All of a sudden, one guy gets up from one side. Another guy gets up from the other side. They all walk up to his corner and they sit down right in front of him. Before he knows it, Shlomo Kalbach opens his eyes. There's 40 guys surrounding him in a kumzit-style circle in the corner of the monastery of the monks. And they're crying like babies. And they're singing with their hearts, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. They're crying. What happened? You were meditating for nine months, the top of mountaintops. One Shema Yisrael. That's all it took. Because when you have the truth, you don't need anything else. He turned to these guys and he told them, Tonight, I'm going to get you out. I'm going to wake you up in the middle of the night. Yishli, GP, my God, guys on the bottom. I'm going to take us out. I'm going to bring you home where you belong. And they all agreed. Do you know how I know this story? You know, a lot of times people say, Rabbi Dubi, do me a favor. Where do you get your stories from? <laughs> Could you tell me, I mean, did you make them up? No, I don't make them up. I couldn't make up the story for my life depended on it. Where do you get your stories from? I want to tell you. I'm going to do this only once because if I have to tell you every time where I get a story from, I'll never give a class. But let this be the one that clears the air, okay? Okay? My guys... Three years ago, here in the shul, decided that we've been talking since they were 16. Now, they're not out there in their 30s. But since they were 16, we were talking about me and them going on a shul trip to Israel for two weeks. And I promised them to take them to every gadol, to all the kvarim, to all the amazing sites of Israel and the Dead Sea, you name it. 
That was the deal. And we're going to spend the Shabbat together in Yerushalayim by the Kotel. That was the deal. We spoke about this for years. And time came and time went and they got married and they got heavy and they have kids now, just like me. But three years ago, it actually, the dream that we talked about for so long happened. And we went with just the guys. 20 guys. And we spent in that July, I'll never forget, this was a trip. Ladies, I can give you 10 clears. It was unbelievable what a trip it was. It was beyond the nature of this world, this trip. It was literally everything we did was beyond belief. It was like God opening doors every inch of the country we went to in ways that we didn't believe. And then Friday night, we were there by the hotel together. We had one of the Hamras as the Hazan singing by the wall. We had the guys with their eyes closed singing their hearts out. And it came the We went arm in arm with all the soldiers that showed up. And we were dancing with the soldiers. As the guys were singing together. There, was, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. This was a memory that none of the guys will forget. And after tefillah, we went back to the Rova HaYehudi, to the Jewish quarter, to eat Friday night meal. We rented a rooftop of one of the local houses that looked right over at the Kotel. And that was going to be our Friday night meal. We came to this house and we walked up some three, four flights. And literally when we walked out to the rooftop, we, we were so close looking over the Kotel, we were able to reach out and touch it practically. That was our Friday night meal. The Zmirot looking at the Kotel singing. It was not normal. And then... The balabayit of the house, the one who rented us the roof, comes up for dessert. He brings a plate of cake with him, and he says, hi guys, where are you all from? Now we'll look at this guy. What? We thought the guy was an Israeli, I mean, we had no idea. He was talking with a Brooklyn accent. Where are you all from? Now we say we're from Brooklyn, this and that. there's always one guy that says I'm from Sham, you know. But anyways, we, we went around the whole room. Finally, with the Brooklyn accent, he says, so guys, how do you love it here in Israel? He says, oh, we love it. If our wife and kids weren't back home, we would stay. He says, oh, you have no idea how many people told me that. He says, I want to tell you my story. And he looks at us and he says to us, I was an Israeli soldier. I came to Israel looking for roots. I didn't know where to look. I wasn't religious. And I went into the Israeli army. After five years, my quadrant of friends decided they're taking a year off. Israel flies you anywhere. I went with them to India. I went to Amman, a monastery with the monks. And I sat there for nine months. And I said to myself, I found the truth. I'm staying here forever. Goodbye Israel and goodbye Judaism. And this guy, Chaim David, but my name as well, I couldn't believe it. He says, I want you to know. One night, this rabbi comes walking into the monastery of the monks. He had long hair with a long pelt and a long beard. And all he walked in was jeans, a t-shirt, and a guitar. And we said, wow, that's a funny looking rabbi. But no one would talk to him because you're not allowed to talk to anybody in the monastery. You just walk around and hum all the time. He says, that night, the rabbi sat in the corner of the room. And while everyone was meditating, he pulled out his guitar and he began to sing, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu. He says, those words hit me like lightning bolts. I started to palpitate. 
I didn't hear Shema Yisrael since my bar mitzvah. He says, something overtook me. My heart started to beat and race. I said to myself, what am I doing? I looked at myself with my head bolded in silk long monk clothing. And I said, what am I joking? I had the truth inside of me all along. I broke down crying. I jumped up. I ran to that rabbi. I wanted to hug him, but they were watching me. So I had to be very subtle. I sat down with another 30, 40 guys. We all looked at each other and we were all the Israelis and the Jews that all came running to the cry and the call of Shema Yisrael to the truth. And the more he sang, the more we cried. Guys, I want to tell you the end of this story he told us. That night, the rabbi came around waking us up. He didn't have to wake us up. Nobody was sleeping. We were humming, but not the humming of the monks. We were humming Shema Yisrael in our beds the entire night, waiting for him to call us. We got up in the middle of the night, and very quietly we tiptoed out of the monastery. We went barefoot down the mountain, and there were a bunch of Israelis there with trucks and jeeps. We all jumped in and we screamed to them, Abaita! Take us out! Get us out of here! Take us home! Makaralana, what happened to us? How did they get into our heads like this? How did they get into our bones like this? How did they get us like this? The goyim, how did they get us? We have the truth! We have the light! We have the menorah! We call Yisrael, Shema Yisrael. And that's how I came back to Israel. And I stuck with that rabbi. And I became religious. And he married me. And my sons and son-in-laws are in yeshivot in Kolel today. Could you imagine if I would have remained a monk? That's where I got this story from. Right from the mouth of the monkey himself. <laughs> and that's who we are. The keepers of the truth. The people of the light. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. This is Rabbi Divi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham. Please tune in every week on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Have a great week. Shabbat Tov.